Welcome to Gaming and Leisure Voice, the vocalized version of GNL's guidance to the gaming world. Hi, I'm Dan Garrow, and today I'd like to talk to you a little bit about a topic I've always been interested in and intrigued with, and that is the Battle of the Little Bighorn and the leadership roles played by Sitting Bull, who was the Sioux leader um, with the Sioux Nation and the role that he played and how he led his people up to and including through that battle and even then a little afterwards. I've read a number of books uh, on Sitting Bull and his leadership style and his leadership capabilities and some of the things that he did, the situations that he was faced with and have always been intrigued and wondered about whether I would have been able to focus and lead as well as he did in that given situation. There are many books on Sitting Bull, and when you read them, uh, not only from a historical perspective, which I typically like to to read things, um, if you read it from a leadership perspective, uh, I think you can pick out some intriguing and interesting comparisons to things that we face today. In my last podcast, I talked a little bit about wartime leaders and some of the things that they had to do uh, or, or that wartime leaders have to do when making decisions about the lives of their troops. Um, I mentioned uh, Major uh, Winters uh, from the um, Band of Brothers episodes on uh, HBO and the things that he went through as a military leader. But Sitting Bull and looking at the leaderships back then and being Native American myself, I, I, look, I, I always make comparisons between different leaders and different situations those leaders find themselves in and try to study how they address things and apply those, those skill sets and, and those actions to some of the things that I sometimes can be faced with as a business leader. A little bit of perspective for those who may not be really ultimately or intimately familiar with the Battle of Little Bighorn. Um, the Little Bighorn is a river in Montana, and the when the United States was being settled and, and colonized uh, by the Europeans and the, and their westward movement, they obviously, of course, many of us are very well aware, they, they bumped into the Native Americans who had been living here for many, many, many years and generations. So it's, it's always intrigued me that from a leadership perspective, the, the Native Americans, uh, probably one of the couple of their main principles in, in leadership was that or are that the land does not belong to an individual, but the land was given to us to take care of and that it was there for our use and for our benefit. And that, of course, was a much different perspective than what the Europeans brought with their culture. And so, uh, as one might expect, the two cultures clash, where one is one is looking for land and land ownership, and the other is looking for uh, uh, no individual ownership, but collective use of the land, and thus protecting the resources, protecting the land for the for the collective good of all. Uh, so there was a natural collision of those cultures. And secondly, in today's world, you think about what skill sets do you bring to a job and, and what or to a leadership position, and do you have the right tools? And there's that old saying about uh, you, know, you should never bring a knife to a gunfight. 
And yet that seems to be what happened, at least initially, with the Native Americans and the Europeans, where quite literally um, guns were brought um, and, and more powerful weapons were brought uh, by the Europeans to the, to the colonies, to, the, to the, what is now the United States. And the you know the Native Americans that were here were uh, were not yet fighting with those kinds of weapons, and so there was a great disadvantage. And in today's business world, you often look at that as well with the big big corporations with lots of money, lots of personnel, perhaps even lots of legal staff and support. Um, a small company starting up has to face has to consider: Am I bringing a knife to a gunfight when I try to take on? perhaps a, a break into a market or take on a bigger competitor. But um, in one of my readings on Sitting Bull, um, there's there's a book out um, called The Genius of Sitting Bull, and the author talks about 13 heroic strategies for today's business leaders. Um, the author's name is Emmett Murphy, um, and he wrote it in conjunction with Michael Smith. And again, I, I read the book from both a historical perspective as well as a leadership um, perspective. And so I actually have a slightly different conclusion, I guess, to all of th- this uh, this history with Sitting Bull and the Battle of the Little Bighorn than perhaps these two authors uh, do. But many of the, many of the things or many of the, the traits and, and characteristics that they believe Sitting Bull exhibited as a leader are defined in their book, and that's what I want to talk about today. So one other point about Sitting Bull is that he was a religious leader. He was not necessarily a warlord or war leader, a war chief. Um, there were others, Crazy Horse and Red Cloud, um, or, or are some Gaul, were some of the, the war leaders um, at the time. And, and Sitting Bull was was more, much, much more of a religious leader. As a matter of fact, he had a dream once, and, and um, he fasted. Um, didn't eat for some period of time and then went and prayed and and spent some time in seclusion and, and came back and told his people that he'd had this dream of the uh, blue coats falling from the sky like rain. And uh, there are, of course, many interpretations of that dream, like anybody might have of our own dreams today. Um, but at the time, you know, it was a sign, or they took it as a sign that the blue coats would fall to the Sioux. And um, that, I'm sure, influenced the decision making process, perhaps, that Sitting Bull went through. Um, another point, I, I guess, at the beginning of this that, that I should make, um, even though it's not necessarily a, a business conclusion, I guess, is that Sitting Bull ultimately, uh, in the end, uh, although he, he won this particular battle, um, yeah, in the end, um, you know, he suffered death at the, uh, at the hands of his own people when they were attempting to arrest him uh, while he was on a reservation. And tragic as that is uh, for anybody to lose their lives in that manner, um, although he won this battle, um, ultimately, uh, I think it could probably be, every, most people would say that, you know, he, he lost the war. Having said that, um, having said that he won this battle, it, I also point out that he didn't start this battle. And so, um, although much of what he was doing in terms of a leader was in preparing for and, and gearing up for battles with the, with the U.S. Army, 
um, this particular battle uh, was uh, he was thrust into it and that is uh, of course there's there's many lots of discussion and a lot of debate about uh, how Custer behaved and and the things that he did wrong uh, that ended up in the demise of his entire command so um, with that background um, these authors come up with uh, 13 different characteristics or traits uh, of leadership that they believe Sitting Bull exhibited. And I'll, I'll just briefly run through them as part of this podcast. And, and hopefully you can take those items and characteristics and apply the ones that you believe are helpful for you. And uh, perhaps that you can, uh, if you also are a student of history and some of these uh, some of these wars, perhaps you've read a little bit about the Little Bighorn and that battle, uh, you can make your own decision about whether you think these characteristics are uh, legitimate or useful for you in today's environment. The first they talk about is um, generating or creating commitment. And Sitting Bull certainly did that with um, his efforts to uh, consolidate the, and group together um, um, the, the other tribes that were in the region at the time. Now, there are several bands of Sioux. Um, the Oglala Sioux are just one band, and there are, there are two others, at least, that are mentioned. But also the Cheyenne and other tribes in the area, they, they were all being, as separate entities, were being defeated by the uh, U.S. Cavalry. And Sitting Bull uh, was able to go to these leaders of these other tribes and these other bands of, of uh, Native Americans and get them to commit to come together. And so um, in the summer of uh, 1876, when this battle was fought, um, he was able to, to gather, the estimates are somewhere between twenty and 25,000 Native Americans into one camp. And there were... Um, many, many tribes involved, not just the Sioux and not just uh, Sitting Bull's particular band of Sioux. And so, uh, the, you know, can you get, how do you go about getting commitment? Um, and, and they drive home the fact that besides your own commitment as a leader to what you believe in and to what you're trying to get your, your, um, your group to do, your team to do and perform, you, you have to be committed to, to uh, doing those things with and for your team. And then you have to have discussions and you have to have, uh, you have, to have convincing arguments. And you have to somehow bring the rest of the team together and gain their commitment as well. So that if you're not in the immediate area, all the goals and objectives and the methods and the techniques and the policies and procedures are all well known and being followed uh, because others are committed to the same end goal and perhaps even committed to doing it in the same way. Now, um, Again, a quick note on that, you know, Native Americans and certainly Native American tribes historically were known to be pretty individualistic. And I don't know if you've, uh, most have probably not had a chance to attend a tribal meeting. I know even today when I attend tribal meetings, uh, they can tend to sometimes be pretty raucous. Although I will say when I've watched other town meetings held by some of today's uh, political candidates, some of those meetings get pretty raucous as well. Um, So... Um, you know, getting people together and getting them to be committed to and unified in a in a common goal, objective, and and hopefully as well the the method in which you're going to reach those goals and objectives is a key characteristic and a key trait in any great leader. Secondly, is building trust. 
Um, there's a book out called The Speed of Trust. Um, you might look that up and read about it. And fundamentally, it talks about things could go much faster if we all trusted each other more. And instead, things tend to slow down and bog down because we because we don't trust each other. And then all of a sudden, we have to have formal policies, procedures, and legal contracts in some cases um, to ensure that uh, you know the way we're going to interact with each other is in fact what actually happens. But building trust, and Sitting Bull certainly was able to do that with the other tribal leaders, and trust develops over time. And so he, over time, was able to show all of the, the Native Americans that were following him, and certainly all the tribes that were following him, that he had their best interests at heart, that he was that he was smart enough to make good decisions that benefited everybody, and that he was willing to listen to others and their opinions um, and take that into consideration whenever he, he needed to make a decision. I don't believe Sitting Bull ever truly commanded anybody to do anything um, as much as it was by consensus he was able to get people to follow him. And consensus and leadership in that method is certainly a fun, is fundamentally based on trust. Third, um, the authors talk about increasing power. Um, I, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure um, that it was. Uh, well, I am sure that Sitting Bull gathered the other tribes together uh, as a means of uh, increasing their ability to fight, to be a stronger force. Uh, there's safety in numbers, that old saying, and certainly he recognized that when they were divided, the. Um, uh, the U.S. Cavalry was able to um, uh, win more battles and, and fight the Indians um, uh, from a, a stronger vantage point than what he was trying to do at, at Little Bighorn. So he had heard that the U.S. Cavalry was out trying to round up all these uh, renegades, as they were called, because they refused to come onto a reservation. And they were out there trying to live the lives they had lived all, uh, for generations. And uh, so to help protect, help uh, for self-preservation and protection, he, he gathered these tribes together. So I don't believe it was it, he did that so much uh, to gain power personally for himself to try to elevate himself as much as it was for self-preservation and protection. And even in my own tribe in New York State, many of you may be very well aware of uh, the Iroquois Confederacy, which is a group of tribes um, that was formed way back in the 1500s, I guess, 1600s. where the, the five tribes, the five original tribes uh, of the Iroquois Confederacy uh, banded together for self-preservation and protection from other tribes uh, and other enemies that were in the region. And so um, it wasn't unusual then, I think, for anybody to think, and certain Sitting Bull did the same thing, is uh, was to try to gather together all the tribes in the region uh, for self-preservation and to develop strength in, in terms of numbers. And, um, and I, as a byproduct of that, he gained power in that now he had many, many more um, um, in, his, in his camp than would, that he would have otherwise. Now, remember, the, I said there was probably 20 to 25,000 Native Americans there, but the fighting force, the warriors, only numbered probably in the range of three to 4,000. So the rest of those uh, Native Americans were either older men who couldn't fight anymore or women and children. 
And so, yeah, there were a lot of people there, uh, and uh, but uh, a relatively small number of warriors in that band. But still, and, and from Custer's standpoint, there were way many more warriors than what Custer brought to the battle. So um, finding a way to increase power. Um, personally, I think by marshalling your resources, by doing the right things, by developing your team, developing your staff, I think uh, power is a byproduct. And uh, the, the, the real goal is to bring people together to a common objective with common policies, procedures, and methods uh, so that everybody benefits. And I think strength and power comes from that naturally. Next was um, living the experience of your people. And certainly Sitting Bull did that. And uh, while he, he uh, camped with his people, he rode his horse with the, like other people rode their horse. He carried his own belongings. He had his own teepee or, or lodge. Um, he, you know, he fed himself or his family, you know, fed themselves. Um, they weren't, they, they were not dependent upon others. Uh, as a leader, they were not dependent upon others to take care of them. And there are many instances throughout history where, where leaders are like that, where uh, unlike today, where our leaders are paid by the people and they don't have to do any, they don't have to live like the people they govern. Back then, the tribal leaders lived among the tribe. They lived as the tribal members. They hunted, uh, you know, and, and although hunters may sh- have shared um, the game that they were, they killed or captured, um, they, the leaders were still expected to take care of themselves uh, and not live off the uh, off the uh, riches and experiences and and benefits of the people they were leading so uh, on the other hand and, and even in Custer's case there are instances m- many historical references to the fact that Custer rode with had two or three horses um, didn't carry his own weapons um, and when his horse tired uh, he went to one of the other two or three horses that he had with him whereas his men, and he had his meals prepared for him and everything was taken care of for him. Um, whereas his men had to carry their own weapons, they only had one horse, and, and which is one of the famous um, uh, facts about the, the Battle of Little Bighorn is that Custer force marched his men through the night because he wanted to get to the battle before the other two columns of cavalry would reach there. He wanted to fight the, the Native Americans himself. He didn't want to, there were two other columns, two other generals involved. They were going to try to surround the, uh, the uh, Indians at the Little Bighorn. And Custer forced his men to march. Um, and so when they got there, they were tired. Their horses were spent. And uh, they, were, they were not as strong as if they... And he got there two days early. They had agreed to meet on June 27th at the Little Bighorn. He got there on June 25th and commenced the battle right away without waiting for the other uh, resources to arrive. So um, living uh, within your means, living um, and taking care of yourself as a leader, I think, is uh, and living and experiencing the things that your people experience, uh, I think, is very important uh, and, and a good a good characteristic of to, for a leadership a leader to develop. Next, they mentioned uh, being a healer, and I've I mentioned that uh, Sitting Bull was a a religious leader. But I believe being being a healer refers to the ability 
to heal differences and the and to have compassion and the and the ability to recognize where people may be suffering or maybe struggling maybe not suffering in today's world but but uh, certainly struggling and where there's maybe conflict um, that uh, you know a good leader will go in there and, and heal those situations and heal the relationships between staff members or tribal members or between and among tribes and uh, put aside your differences and, and work together to for a common cause. And I believe that's what they, they really are referring to there when they, when they talk about um, um, being a healer. Next is um, communicating on many levels. And a good leader has the ability to do that. So as a matter of fact, it's, besides uh, self-awareness, I think communication is probably the second most important characteristic that a good leader should have. And in today's world, you know, we have to communicate uh, verbally. We, we have to communicate in writing um, and we have to communicate in the nonverbal methods uh, um, to ensure that our, our people understand what we're trying to do and understand what the goals are and the objectives and how we're going to go about getting and reaching those goals and objectives. And Sitting Bull had certainly a number of methods in which he could communicate. Um, probably some of the dialects were not exactly the same. And, and just like in the Iroquois Confederacy, uh, in my home state and with my tribe, the Mohawk language is slightly different than the Oneida language, although there are some, some similarities. You know, French and English are different, although there are some similarities. Just like French and Spanish or French and, and um, Italian, there are many similarities. And so it, when you pull together groups like that or you pull together people from uh, various uh, backgrounds and skill sets and educational backgrounds, you have to be able to communicate effectively to all of them and your ability to communicate up the, up the chain of command down the chain of command and, and across through your peer to your peers is critical and on that if that that the eventful day of june 25th uh, 1876 um when custer attacked the sitting bulls and and this and the the, uh, the the camp of the native americans there uh, communication immediately went out everybody knew exactly what was happening right away and because uh, they had been preparing everybody uh, basically understood what needed to be done and um, took up arms right away um, next is thinking strategically. And, you know, the, the Native Americans are there's, you know, somewhat well known for this, this ideology of uh, thinking of the seventh generation, and that is seven generations from now. So that every decision that you make is, um, is weighed against or stood up against or measured against this idea of how will this affect and benefit my seventh generation from now. And thinking strategically or down the road is key. And, and I think um, Sitting Bull, you know, um, certainly thought strategically because even though he knew he had won the, in his, in his uh, camp had won the battle of the Little Bighorn, he knew that um, it was, there was more, more war coming. And they immediately after the battle was over, immediately left the area and, and, and headed north. Um, which they'd been planning to do anyway. They were thinking of leaving the Little Bighorn Valley in, in Montana and going up into Canada because there was so much um, so much strife there with the U.S. Cavalry and with all the 
all the settlers that were going that were moving into the region um, but he always thought down the road and, and thought about you know what what's going to happen um, now that this is over and so as we rise up in the ranks in our leaderships um, the positions um, our duties change and so when you go from being a individual contributor and then you become a supervisor you now have to do different things you now have to assign work. You have to think about what work is coming. And if somebody's sitting there with no work to do, you have to think about, well, what, what work needs to be done that I can assign to that individual? And that means thinking a little more strategically, thinking down the road, thinking what's coming at us. Is this person, when will this person run out of work? Or when will my team run out of work? And I've got to have the next uh, the next uh, job or assignment lined up and ready to go so that they, they can keep working. And then when you leave the ranks of uh, of being a supervisor and you move into the role of a manager or director, even more strategically, you now now have to start thinking about um, what's the business doing as a whole and what are other departments doing and how how does my department fit in with other departments. And when you leave the rank of director or manager and you get up into the GM level um, or business level, uh, even more strategically, you have to start thinking about other competitors in the marketplace what is the market doing and how am i being affected by regulations um, what's happening in the environment uh, meaning the business environment um, that's going to challenge or 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 make my business viable and so you stop thinking about how do i put these two pieces together or how, how do i build this program into what's the next big product that i have to build or can build so that the business can continue to grow Next is the, to respect your competition, and certainly um, Sitting Bull did that. Uh, he understood um, the power and the uh, the weaponry that that the soldiers were bringing uh, to fight him, and um, they had taken pains and steps to make sure that they could gain the, the types of weapons weaponry they needed in order to fight the battles that they that he knew was coming. So um, in today's world, you know, a good leader understands what the competition is. He respects the competition. Um, he, t- he understands what, the, what their abilities are, what tools they have, what skill sets they have. And he's, he uh, has to start uh, preparing his own team and his own business to be able to manage and compete with, with those competitors. Next, um, and this one is a little tough, uh, they, they refer to redefining the rules of battle. Um, you know, the, the Native Americans back in those days uh, fought in skirmishes. As a matter of fact, uh, there's many that have said that the Native Americans were the first guerrilla war fighters. I, I don't know if that's totally accurate or not, but it certainly makes sense. Um, whereas the U.S. Cavalry at the time, would ride into a situation and in some that may not have been on cavalry um, and been on foot would have formed skirmish lines uh, and pretty famously during the Revolutionary War we know that the, the, the British Army lined up in a line and stood shoulder to shoulder with their compatriots and, and the, um, the Patriots did the same thing. They stood shoulder to shoulder and they just stood there and fired at each other. Well, in, in this in this case, you know, the Native Americans were more skirmishers. They would stay on their horses. They wouldn't get off their horses and 
uh, Reno when uh, Colonel Reno when he came into the battle at Little Bighorn, his men got off their horses and immediately saw the disadvantage and they were routed. They were chased back into a nearby wooded area uh, off their horses and um, they were very quickly um, uh, overcome by the Native Americans who kept moving and kept stayed on horseback and kept riding and shooting from different directions. And so the rules of battle in business, I think um, you, you do need to understand what am I facing uh, in terms of uh, the business that I'm in and, and the job that I have to do and uh, are there different rules? Can I do things in a different way? Are regulations, what are the regulations and how can I work either with them or um, still staying in compliance with them? How can I get by? Or do I see a method by which I can get by some of these regulations um, that perhaps others don't see? And so understanding how you're going to engage the marketplace and how you're going to engage a competition um, uh, while maintaining your integrity and, and being honest and forthright, um, I think is, is a key principle for good leadership. Uh, certainly knowing your terrain, um, it, you know, the, the Native Americans and in, in the Sioux and, you know, those other tribes of Cheyenne um, in, the, in that region knew all the nooks and crannies of the area. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that's mentioned about Custer's, one of Custer's big mistakes is that he rode along um, one side of the river out of sight of the of the huge Native American camp that was there, thinking he was going to come surround them and come at them from a different direction. He did not know the terrain, and because he didn't know that, he had no place to cross the river. And unfortunately for him, he had been seen by the Native Americans. So some of the some of the Native Americans there um, saw this other force going around the hills, and they took across took off across the river, and they got in behind them, and ultimately uh, that caused the the entire cavalry to be surrounded. Uh, and when they finally did find a place they could ford the river, and came across the river, they were being followed by part of the Native American forces. So in business in the business environment, knowing your terrain and knowing, again, the, the regulations that are there, knowing what competition is in the area, knowing your customers, and knowing how things lay out for your particular product line or for what your, what your team is working on, even within your own company, is very, very important uh, that you understand that, you know where things are, and you know how you can get things done uh, that are to your advantage. Now, right-sizing your forces, this, this is another one I kind of disagree with with the authors in that um, I don't think, uh, other than recognizing that he needed to band together, I don't believe Sitting Bull really understood um, that he could ever get enough Native Americans to, to fend off the entire westward migration of the United States population. Uh, I think, again, what he was really trying to do was just band together and, and get more uh, people uh, together in one group for protection so that there would be that the you know the um, military the US cavalry troops that were chasing them couldn't easily overcome them and ride ride rush out over them um, so it wasn't so much that um, he was trying to build a, a, an army bigger than the US cavalry because he there was no way he'd be able to do that um, um, 
I, I think in today's world, though, that there there is a a need to recognize um, and right size the amount of resources that you're you're utilizing. Now, by that I mean if you don't have enough people, then of course you got to get more. And but in some cases, you may have too many people. And so you've got to figure out uh, there may be there may be a need to start cutting costs and cutting the size of your force, and that that of course is what is. Um, in today's world, it's typically uh, meant by right-sizing your forces. So whether you need to grow or whether you need to to decrease um, all the costs that you have is a very important part of being a good leader and figuring out a way to do that with the least amount of uh, harm to to your team, your team, and the individual team members, I think is very key. Um, very, very difficult situation when you have to downsize, um, and yet um, that's that's what you sign up for when you become a leader. You have to you you sign up for making those tough decisions, not only about right sizing, but about other things as well. You know, so you can't you can't just go into a, a situation or an organization thinking, oh, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to be I'm going to get all this glory. There are a lot of tough things that you have to do, a lot of tough decisions that you have to make, and a good leader will will face up to those and and make those those decisions. Lastly, um, they mentioned measuring your results, and I think every good leader obviously has to do that. You, in, in the case of Sitting Bull, um, you know, I, I, again, I, he won the battle, uh, and, and I said earlier on in the podcast, he didn't start this. He, they, they were attacked in the morning. They were many of the Native Americans were still in their teepees. Um, you know, for all I know, many of them are probably still sleeping. Um, but they were many were up and about, and they were starting to get you know their meal ready for the day and and uh, whatever else they were you know they were planning to do that day. When all of a sudden, some of the uh, some of the uh, scouts came back and said, "Hey, you know, we've got some uh, we've got some cavalry coming in the area, coming towards us." And next thing you know, the cavalry's firing on one end of the camp. Well, the camp was so big um, that the far end of the camp had a chance, at least, to be able to to get up. Once they were alerted, they got up and got their weapons out, and they were able to return fire. But um, at the end of the day. Um, you know, he, he, Sitting Bull had to, and his people had to react to a crisis situation, and they they did that. They got up and and they fought for their lives. Um, it, it wasn't uh, as as great a result for Custer, obviously. Uh, we we all refer to it as Custer's massacre, uh, and yet Custer was the one that started it and started the fight. Um, so in today's world, you know, we 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 have to. Bing, John, I need you to to uh, take that piece out, that ringing out. So, um, so I'm going to conclude f- from here. So, uh, in in closing, I think it's important to note that um, you know I believe Sitting Bull did a great job in in his leadership style and his leadership characteristics. I think we can learn many things from historical figures like that. I also think it's important for us to recognize that as we measure the success of the things that we've done, um, that is the last and and most important thing for us to do, and that is to learn from each experience, learn from each project, learn from each each effort that we're doing so that we can continue to improve. And 
in putting together all of these characteristics and traits of, of Sitting Bull, I think are an interesting uh, collection of ideas and, and thoughts and characteristics that we can use even in today's uh, environment. So uh, I want to thank you for uh, listening to me in this program. Uh, please, if you would like and subscribe to us and visit mygamingandleisure.com for new content. I'm Dan Garrow, and thank you for listening to Gaming and Leisure Voice today. I hope you enjoyed it.